Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. Today's guests are Marie Montmarquet and Alan Hackett, a Tennessee-born sibling duo that moved to California on a mission to enter the cannabis space. A few years later, they're now co-founders and owners of MD Numbers, a family of vertically integrated cannabis brands headquartered in the Bay Area. Marie and Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much, Nate. It's great to have you here. So can you guys give us a sense of geography? Where are you in the world today? I'm in San Francisco. And I am currently in Los Angeles today. Great. Okay. And what is MD Numbers on a high level? MD Numbers is a vertically integrated brand in California that encompasses cultivation with 50,000 square feet greenhouse facility, distribution, processing. We have a nursery as well and delivery company. Awesome. Okay. And can you both share a little bit about your backgrounds in cannabis and how you came to start MD Numbers? Yeah, sure. I'll uh, I'll start us off. Um, I've been I gravitated to the plant and cannabis early on in high school. Um, something just recreationally doing, not necessarily had a vision or thought of um, you know making a career or even trying to go to lengths of you know finding legality. Coming from the south, where we're from, it's highly illegal. Um, so that kind of pushed us to <clears throat> come to California. It was more Marie that kind of made the initial push that got us to California. Um, she came out with other business ventures and then eventually, you know, wanted to start a delivery service that I followed suit and, um, you know, saw the, saw the, the opportunity and then we doubled down on it. And, you know, um, six years later, you know, we built up MD numbers that encompasses all the, the businesses we had built in this time period. Great. Okay. And so Marie, you're from Nashville. Is that correct? What, what got you into cannabis originally? Yeah, I'm from Nashville. So um, when I was in college, I began began to getting a lot more educated on all the benefits of cannabis and just the understanding of the free-mindedness of not necessarily letting a law control the, the benefits of the plant. And in Tennessee, of course, it's still criminalized. So I knew that I needed to leave uh, Tennessee. And so that's the main thing that brought me to California. But in Tennessee, I definitely learned a lot. And Alan and I were both, you know, affected by the criminalization of cannabis in Tennessee. And we're super driven to to leave and be somewhere that we could sustain a legal cannabis business. That's great. And so MD Numbers, that's really just the umbrella for multiple companies you guys now own. But can you tell us a little bit about your start in California and how you got up and running in that market? Yeah, for sure. So this was back in 2015 when we originally got started and everything was still under Prop 215. So back then we knew that we wanted to get started, whether it was distribution or delivery and delivery was the lowest hanging fruit, so to speak. And we had someone that we could easily get really premium, well-crafted strains. And back then there was only about 10 deliveries in the county that we started in. So it was a lot less saturated than today. But just being an early adopter was one of the main things that allowed us to compete even today and transition from Prop 215 to Proposition 64. Awesome. Okay. And so that delivery service, it was uh, Marie's Deliverables. 
which you started in Redwood City, which at the time was a dry county with zero dispensaries. So what was that experience like and how has Marie's Deliverables evolved since then? Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a good question. Um, Back in 2015, when we started, that was the city that we originated in. And Redwood City is actually still a dry county when it comes to retail. And Alan and I have applied for one of the first retail licenses in Redwood City. We applied in February. So fingers crossed that will be one of the six licenses that are the first in the county to turn it from dry to wet, so to speak. But that experience taught us so much and a lot about just business intelligence because we touch pretty much every part of the supply chain, inventory, purchasing, logistics, marketing, managing employees, managing a fleet. And it was really able to establish the needs for what we wanted to develop in the future and get into cultivation and a lot of other things. So that was in 2015 when we started and established in Redwood City. In 2016, we were launching in LA. So we went to Los Angeles and transitioned into opening up down there. And that's when we had a big revolution or revelation rather about needing to get into cultivation. So 2016, we launched MD Cultivation and we were putting flour that we were growing into the delivery service. And then the end of 2017 is when everything transitioned from Prop 215 to Prop 64. So we went from Redwood City into San Francisco and launched there in 2018. And we went through a lot of different product scarcity issues and all the compliance and regulations really put a lot of small businesses out. So then 2019, there was a lot of different tech integrations and just continuing to build the business. And now going into 2021 after COVID last year, of course, everyone saw a spike in business due to e-commerce and delivery being the go-to during COVID. And I would say still is the, the wave of the future. And now we're also still in business and planning to do a relaunch in the future with a new call center and collaborations with in-house product. Okay, great. And so you you mentioned MD Farms a second ago, and that you had a, a big revelation to start cultivating your own product. What sparked that revelation and what um, how has that better enabled you to compete in the SoCal market? Yeah, so what we learned when we went to LA was there was a lot of competitors down there with delivery services that were all cultivating their own product. And because of that, they were able to have a really low cap so really low max price, which was around $30. And at that point was really like the future that we were being able to see, but in real time that we were going to need to have control of a piece of a piece of the production somewhere to compete, you know, not just be in the supply chain, but own a piece of the supply chain. So in cannabis, there's just been a a race to commoditize this plant and bring down the price as fast as possible with a lot of, you know, corporate cannabis. So we wanted to grow premium flower and create a premium brand. And that would enable us to compete in the California market anywhere, as long as we could own a piece of the supply chain. Okay, great. So I've read when you entered the SoCal market, you discovered that the consumer preferences there were a lot different from the NorCal market. Can you talk a little bit about the preferences there and and the differences in the flower market in each each part of the state? 
Yeah, it's crazy. I always like say like there's a lot of microclimates in California and it's kind of a joke, but it's not really a joke that it, you really do have to sell cannabis differently in each area of the state because in Southern California specifically, there's a lot of strains that they prefer down there that aren't necessarily really popular in the Bay Area. And Southern California is really known for ocean grown or OG strains. So when we went to Los Angeles in 2016, we didn't have necessarily all the OG strains that the preference was down there. We had a lot of cookie strains. We had a lot of different varieties of sativas and non-OG strains. But for whatever reason, they just have a lot of different preferences and are really OG um, dominated down there. To add to that, too, um, I think about think people don't realize L.A. is so big, too. I mean, there's a lot of tourists there compared to the Bay Area, which is really small and has really a lot of niche smokers in different communities, whereas Los Angeles is really wide open. Um, a lot of tourism, you know, I think on with tourism, you're looking at close to 30 million people annually that visit and travel in Los Angeles. So a lot of that comes with people not necessarily educated on cannabis. So when you tend to get uneducated people, they tend to like strong cannabis stuff that gives them a really strong effect. They want to feel that high compared to what I've noticed in the Bay Area. There's a lot more functional smokers, people that like to be high, but like want to be able to work and do things. So a lot more sativas, a lot more hybrids, a lot more flavorful strains, I would say, up north in the Bay Area compared to in Southern California. It's more of a preference on THC content. How high is the THC? How stoned do I feel? And that's where you get into more of the ocean grown stuff, the OGs, um, which tend to be a little more stronger and gassier than um, your traditional hybrids or exotic flowers. Okay, great. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. So kind of touching on what you, what you're talking about with the strains there right now, you have your own in-house brands in the works I've read. You're in the research and development phase there, but right now you provide wholesale and private labeling at MD farm. So can you tell us a little bit about all of the different strains you grow and who your typical client is? Yeah. So um, for us, you know, being able to have the delivery service and kind of having all that data there what people are buying and what people are liking to smoke and, you know, also what our competitors are doing as well. Cause we can see, you know, everybody's menu on the same search engines that we have. Um, so we kind of use that with our farm, um, trying to make sure that we're growing strains that are popular, that are sought after and that quite frankly are easy to sell. Um, so we, we tend to grow a lot of hybrids, a lot of exotic strains there. Um, we don't necessarily dive too much into sativas or sativa leaning uh, products. One, it's a little harder to grow. And in the climate that we have in Monterey County, it's a lot easier to grow some of those exotic strains. Um, to name a few, for instance, uh, we have a nice Gelato 41 cut, Gushers, um, Kim Cookies, um, Lemonade. Um, we have a lot of Cushmans and different things that we got from different breeders throughout the state. Um, so we work with a few different geneticists and a few different breeders to try to curate strains that work well in our climate with our style. Um, <clears throat> getting into cannabis and cultivation, um, we've seen a lot of people's shortcomings and a lot of people fail. Um, we had those same struggles going into it. We were just on a smaller scale so we could kind of take those punches and keep moving. And a lot of those things were trying to build out a brand. 
Um, it is very expensive to build a brand out in today's market. And it was something that Marie and myself just did not want to focus on. We really wanted to focus on getting better at cultivating, getting better at offering, you know, delivery to our customers and getting better at building relationships with different, different distributors throughout the state. So we kind of held off on that. Um, now, you know, three, four years later, we're looking to add a brand to our, you know, to our resume and have that in-house brand for our customers to be able to get products straight from the farm, straight to their, uh, you know, straight to their, um, to the, to them, to the consumer. So um, it's something we're working on now. And hopefully, you know, with our new retail applications in line and, you know, with the farm expanding, we'll be able to, uh, you know, create that brand and have it in the market and be able to provide it to our customers. Okay, great. And you said um, the cultivation side is just hugely important to you at MD Numbers and you've placed a lot of emphasis on it. And it's clearly been a huge benefit to you guys that that you have total control of that part of the supply chain there. So tell us about your mixed light greenhouse facility and the new indoor facility that you are currently working on. Yeah. So, um, you know, very blessed to be able to have and got into the County of Monterey early when we did in 2016 and locked down a facility there. Um, it's really hard to find property in that regard. Um, it's a so we have, we currently have a fifty thousand square foot greenhouse, um, thirty thousand square foot of flowering space, and twenty thousand square foot of nursery. Um, we produce on average <clears throat> around five hundred to six hundred pounds per month that like that so we wholesale and and offer white label services for. Um, we have about fifteen to fifteen to twenty five employees that ranges depending on trimmers and things like that. We operate year round, so three hundred sixty five days a year we are open. And those plants are getting fed and they're getting sunlight and they're getting nutrients and we're catering to those plants uh, year round. Um, that was a big benefit for us, especially when we launched the delivery, having this other sector that we could kind of, one, build relationships with within the cannabis community, have insight into different strains and different things like that, and just have more data to be able to provide a better end product to the user that we're, that we're servicing. Um, with that, we decided to launch an indoor facility. So in Greenfield, California, we were recently approved from the city council for all of our regulatory permits and building permits to build out a 20,000 square foot um, indoor cultivation facility there. So it'll be 200 lights when completed um, with a tissue culture lab and an R&D nursery, um, as well as distribution as well. Um, and the main reason we wanted to launch that is because like I said, going back to the delivery, we have all the data. So we sell all types of product from high quality indoor product to low quality indoor to greenhouse product to mixed light to outdoor product. Um, there is something for everybody. Um, there's not just one strain or one type of cannabis that um, everybody likes to buy. So with that, we're purchasing indoor product from different distributors and different brands throughout the state. So we were like, all right, well, if we can replace that with our own brand and then launch that brand and have indoor and mixed light and greenhouse products, um, then we'll have a, you know, a, a better chance of making better margins for ourselves. So that's been, uh, been my focus for the last year is trying to get that up and running and launch that raising funds for it as well. Um, and then this will all coincide with the distribution and delivery that Marie's overseeing in the Bay Area. So all the product will flow up north and, you know, hopefully be sold through all, through all our delivery through our store. Okay, great. Yeah. And so I, I've also, I've read, you've got a huge philosophy about paying it forward, which I love. And part of what you use your cultivation facility for is demonstrations and, and um, educating 
equity candidates who want to get into the space. So can you share a little bit about that aspect of MD numbers and the different projects you have and why that is so important to you guys, particularly in cannabis? Yeah, for sure. Lynn and I definitely come from a background that's been um, very relatable to a lot of the people that we mentor and coming from a place where cannabis obviously is criminalized and the war on drugs was so big. So we definitely take it upon ourselves to use the farm and any other educational resources we can to provide assistance. And we partnered with Success Centers about two and a half years now. Angela White there is the manager of the equity program, and she's definitely been really impactful on Alan and I. And currently we have a, a grant from the Office of Cannabis in San Francisco and the state to provide technical assistance. And we provide mentorship and one-on-one counseling for those going through the equity program, making sure that they're educated about the supply chain, business economics, and brand creation, or where even they want to start in the supply chain and how it fits in um, with anything they're currently doing and hopefully have the most success. Because a lot of these things are unfunded and the equity programs are um, currently unfunded when it comes to the large, larger capacity of capitalization. They might give you, you know, a little micro grant here and there, but they have to really make sure they understand. So we use the delivery and we use the farm. We do a monthly tour on the farm to bring down all the equity applicants with Miss Angela White. And we give them a live workshop there. And Alan does an amazing job and takes them through the entire farm from nursery through flowering into our harvesting, processing, showing them the full post-production, everything from start to finish. So it's a beautiful tour. And then we offer virtual workshops as well. So every other week there's a job fair. And then the week that there's not a job fair, there's a virtual workshop that we bring in professionals from all around cannabis and the supply chain, accountants, attorneys, all sorts of people to give workshops to those that are underneath the success center umbrella. That's amazing. So in a few minutes here, we'll, we'll talk about how listeners can maybe take part in that because that's a, an amazing list of resources you guys have there. But going off that, can you tell us a little bit about Legacy Coterie and the work you do there as well? Yeah, Legacy Coterie is more along the permitting and distribution side of consulting underneath brand development. Uh, we have a lot of people that have built really large brands in California that can help with launch strategy, how to take over different areas and uh, intro different brands into retailers. And we do operations consulting and equity advising is kind of wrapped up in there, just pro bono work that we do for a lot of equity. And we bring in these same tools and resources to kind of wrap it all together as a wraparound service. Great. Okay. So I'm going to shift gears here a little bit and um, ask you guys about kind of the cannabis industry at large at the moment. What would you say are the biggest challenges brands are facing when it comes to compliance and legality and how would you advise them to go about navigating those challenges? I would say like a lot of the compliance and legality comes down to this just being such a brand new industry that's created and overseen by the Bureau of Cannabis Control. So you have to make sure that you're involved with all of your local, your city, your county, and your state regulatory agencies. And so with that being said, permitting, of course, can be like the largest 
challenge and the timeline for permitting is very long. So you might be paying rent on a property far before you're able to even begin the build out on that property, which is one thing that keeps a lot of people from being able to enter the marketplace as well as zoning. So the zone, like Alan was speaking, like we're very fortunate to be in Monterey County. A lot of people were put in a zone that didn't offer the type of permits that they needed to support their business. So maybe they offered cultivation, but they didn't offer processing. So there's a lot of challenges just being in an area that's not friendly towards the process of coming into Prop 64. And taxes, of course, there's so many layers of taxes when it comes to all the pieces of supply chain. But not only that, 280E would be, you know, where we could start with some progress when federal legalization does happen and we can have normal business write-offs. Because currently that's one huge challenge for getting involved with the industry because not only do you have to calculate all of your operations overhead, but a lot of that has to do with things that you wouldn't be able to write off that you normally could write off in another business. Okay, great. And Something else uh, working against brands right now is banking, but as the Safe Banking Act hopefully gets approved here, what what are your thoughts on that and what do you think that could mean for the future of cannabis? It's huge. Um, that would literally make or break most people's cannabis careers. Um, and, you know, just simple banking on any regular level, you have a relationship with the bank. If, you know, you need a loan for something, whether it's short-term or long-term, you want to expand your business, you want to go buy a piece of property, um, you want to collateralize money that you have in the bank with a, you know, lot of credit or anything like that to help build your business. Um, it literally is the infrastructure with what our economy has been built on with from small businesses getting started. So to have that completely removed from the cannabis beginning in California, it's been, you know, very very challenging to say the least. So hopefully that's something that we could, you know, get implemented and have the current operators and businesses that have been able to stand the test of time, have those resources available, but not having those resources um, was, you know, very, very challenging. And it will definitely help new businesses that are getting started, new individuals that look at getting the business. Um, look, cannabis is very volatile. It's hard to raise money in cannabis without giving you, you know, your life or soul away to some investor um, somewhere far off and knows nothing about what you're what you're really doing, or maybe knows a lot about it but doesn't have the infrastructure in place to actually build it out. So, you know, with banking, it kind of eliminates some of the predatory lending that people have had to do or deal with thus far. Absolutely, yeah, that's a great point about the the lending as well. So speaking of uh, capital, where are you both in the capital raising process and what are your goals for the year ahead? We are currently about in uh, towards the end of funding what we're hoping to be about $3 million for these next cultivation projects, which encompasses the indoor as well as four acres of greenhouse that we have currently in Salinas as well. So we want to build that project out and fully fund it. And so that will be about $3 million total. Great. Awesome. So let's uh, turn to some personal development questions here because you guys, while you live and breathe cannabis, I know you've got other things going on in your lives. So first question, is there a book that has had a big impact on your life or way of thinking? And Marie, maybe we'll, we'll start with you and uh, go to Alan after that. 
yeah, I'm definitely a big person on a lot of uh, nonfiction and just backgrounds for those that have been really, really influential in the past. One book that's super cool that I've read a long time ago is called What Makes the Great Great. Um, it's by Dennis Kimbrough, and it's a really, really good book when it comes to strategies for those that have had extraordinary achievement throughout life. And it's got a lot of anecdotal stories in there that are really inspiring. Okay, great. Awesome. How about you, Alan? Yeah, for me, um, I'm a big like article reader. I read a lot of articles. I read a lot of news. I'm really big on current events. Um, I would say different publications that I would gravitate to would probably would probably be different um, Harvard Law Studies. Um, there's some on like organization and different ones on being competitive in the workplace and things like that. Um, they're super short and to the point. I've kind of used those to kind of help, you know, bridge my lack of business intelligence in this arena. So I would definitely say any Harvard Law Review studies or books. Um, and I, I don't have a specific one off the top of my head, but um, I've definitely read a few that have been gifted to me that have, you know, been very beneficial to us. Oh, okay. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So Moving on to the next question, what is one thing going on in the industry that you think might have a big impact in the future, but might be a little underappreciated right now? Well, I will start with that. I would say, for one, I would say women in cannabis. Um, you know, this this industry has been dominated by white men to start. Um, very few minorities have had the opportunity to get in and position themselves the way that Maria and myself has, um, and very you know even fewer women. So I would say that it's definitely going to change. Um, like any industry and any commodity, um, once women usually tend to get in, it usually gets a little better. So I would say that is definitely something uh, that's going to be big for cannabis once it legalizes across federal. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. How about you, Marie? Any, anything that uh, you think might be kind of going under people's radar at the moment? Yeah, definitely what Alan said would be the first thing I would think of. The next would probably be something along the lines of national export. Um, which, of course, has not happened yet because of uh, the federal laws. But once we are able to export into other states from California and just the difference that will make on the supply chain and distribution and the impact that that will have abroad, I'm very interested to see, you know, from national export to global export, what that would look like. Great. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, what would you say, and this can be West Coast or East Coast, I know you guys, you're uh, born and bred in the East Coast, so, and there's some good fast food joints on the East Coast as well. So what would you say is your favorite unhealthy comfort food? Oh, man, for me, that would have to be barbecue, <laughs> whether it's brisket or pulled pork um, and all the sides and fixings that will come along with it. That is definitely um, Southern comfort food that can uh, put you in a sleep coma. <laughs> Uh, I would say definitely going along the lines of like fried fish, spaghetti, meatloaf. Those would be like top three. Oh, man. Those are some classic comfort <laughs> foods. Awesome. And uh, in terms of barbecue, that's a that can be a bit of a controversial topic. Alan, are you a mustard based sauce kind of guy or vinegar based? What's what's your preference there? <laughs> yes, that is very controversial in the in the South. I will say <laughs> I will say um probably more of a vinegar based like i like sweet to sour kind of a little bit now it's crazy you brought that up coming from the east coast to california i've yet to find really great barbecue in california like oh. it just 
it That's doesn't exist. It doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, they don't, you know, they use more tri-tip and things out here. They get away from the pork and the sauces and things like that. So, um, but for me, um, definitely more of a vinegar based and mustard based. Um, but you know, sweet sauces are good and I love a good pulled pork sandwich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being from South Carolina, I'm, I'm a little biased. I think South Carolina barbecue is the best, but um my, my boyfriend's it's, from texas so we have arguments about this all the time <laughs> south carolina is definitely up there i i agree <laughs> awesome okay so how let's as we wrap up here you guys how can listeners find you online and connect with you uh they can find us at www.mdnumbersinc.com and on instagram at mdnumbers.inc and the farm is at md.farms.ca Great. All right. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time and wish you the best of luck with everything going on this year. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. It's really cool. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guests to you. Learn more at canninsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canna Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.